Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning's worship. Father, we thank you for the gathering of the saints. Lord, we pray that you pour out your Holy Spirit on us this morning, afresh and anew, afresh and anew, Lord. Pour out your Spirit on us, Father. Let us see you greater. Let us know you deeper and open our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, Father. All God's people said, amen, amen, amen. You may have a seat. So I was praying, Lord, open, pour out your Holy Spirit. What does that look like? What does that look like in church service? What does it look like when we ask the Holy Spirit to be poured out? What happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out during the church service when you're studying the word and you're in worship? He just simply opens your heart. He opens your heart to the truth of the scripture. It's like you're reading it, you're studying it, and all of a sudden it's like you have this aha moment, like, wow, that is amazing. That is true. It's like a revelation. It's, it's, it's a rhema. It's a revelation that takes place in our hearts that, that the word goes from your head to your heart. And that's where we want to get to. We want to get the word in our hearts. We want to get it in our head, okay? The knowledge of the Lord is, is precious and valuable, but we want it to not only go to our heads, but we also want it to go to our hearts. So this morning, we are continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation. And we, family, are in probably one of the darkest chapters in the book of Revelation this morning. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into our study. And you can turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 9 is where we are in our, our journey through the book of Revelation. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word Father, thank you for the truth that is in it. And Father, as we look at it now, Lord, open our hearts. And Lord, let us, in this hellacious passage, let us see your grace. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. So the purpose in Calvary Chapel in teaching verse by verse is we want people to understand their Bible. And we like to teach it in a simple format You know, nothing high and lofty and scholarly, but something that where all people can understand. So what I want to do is, the title of my message this morning is, When All Hell Breaks Loose. When All Hell Breaks Loose. And that's exactly what we see starting to take place in Revelation chapter 9. But again, I want you to see the big picture of the book of Revelation. So I want to give you a quick... teach you really quick on the book of Revelation. And the first thing we want to look at is the end time event timeline. This is a timeline of the last days. It started with Jesus's resurrection, his ascension, the church age. That's where me and you are right now. We're, we're uh, in the church age, Revelation chapter one through chapter three. The next prophetic event on God's timetable, according to scripture, is 1 Thessalonians chapter four, uh, chapter 4, verses 15 through 18, and also Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, is the rapture of the church. And then we have Revelation chapter 4 and 5 is the scene in heaven. So church age, the scene in heaven, and then right there, the seven-year tribulation period. That's Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 18, and that's where we're at in our study, okay? That's where we're going to be there for a while, Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 18, is the uh, seven-year tribulation. Then we'll see the second coming of Christ at the end of the great tribulation, the literal 1,000-year millennial reign, then the great white throne of judgment 
held at the same time as the, uh, as, as, uh, the, no, the great white throne of judgment, where also people, the sinners will be cast into the lake of fire in Revelation chapter 20, and then the new heavens and the new earth. Now, we are studying the seven-year tribulation period. What is the purpose of that seven-year tribulation purpose? What's the purpose of that seven-year tribulation period? God has a purpose for everything. Next slide. The purpose of the great tribulation is to wake up unbelievers. That's very important as we study this passage, especially Revelation chapter 9 this morning, is you need to understand that. The purpose of this wrath being poured out and this crazy stuff that we're going to see this morning, is this is like a final curtain call. Okay, this is God's final curtain call on the world, and he's saying, turn to Christ. Repent. Put your trust in Christ. So he's, he's turning up the temperature. Secondly, is to shake the nation of Israel. That's why we see all this Old Testament, uh, these symbolic pictures in the book of Revelation that go back to the Old Testament, because God's focus is on the Jewish people, is on the Jewish people. And then thirdly, is... Uh, to prepare for the millennial kingdom because the next event after the great tribulation is the millennial kingdom. Now, go back to the first slide. That seven-year tribulation uh, period, Revelation chapter 6 through 18, it can be divided up into three categories. Go to the third slide. The three phases of the great tribulation, um, to get the picture in your head, is uh, these three sets of judgments. The first one is the seven seals that are broken. Remember Revelation chapter 5? Jesus breaks the seal, and as each seal is broken, a judgment comes upon the earth. And then the uh, seven angels in heaven, they blow their trumpets. This morning we are uh, at number two. We're looking at the fifth and sixth trumpet. And then sometime in the next couple of weeks, we will roll into the latter half of Revelation where we look at the seven bowls that are poured out. And again, what you need to understand is the, the tribulation is not the penalty for sin, okay? The penalty for sin is separation from God. Without being born again, it's sinners spending eternity in the lake of fire. The tribulation and the wrath and all this crazy stuff taking place in the book of Revelation, it is to get the, attention, get the world's attention, to get them to turn to Christ. So this brings us we're, on, we're, at, we're at the end of number two, the seven trumpets that are blown. This morning, we're looking at the fifth and sixth trumpet in Revelation chapter nine. And this is uh, what you need to understand as we go through Revelation chapter nine. We're going to see a bunch of words. And, and if you're not tracking, you're not following, you're going to get lost real quick. You're going to get lost real quick and you have to go back and watch the video. But in Revelation chapter nine, John uses these words, the star, the abyss, the locust, the scorpion, the lions, the snakes. And what you need to understand is that all of these characters, all of these things in Revelation chapter 9 are satanic and demonic forces in the world during the great tribulation. Literally, the portal of hell is coming to earth and the portal is going to be open as all hell breaks loose on earth. So with that said, Turn, let's turn to Revelation chapter 9, and we'll begin with verse 1. Revelation chapter 9, verse 1 says, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven, which had fallen to earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. So here we have the first person. 
the star. Who is the star of Revelation chapter 9, verse 1? Well, first off, this star is not a celestial being. It's not a celestial body. This is not a star in the heavens. Because he says there that um, in verse 1 that it's a person. Look at the very end of verse 1. It says, a key was given to him. So this star is a person. We also learn from verse 1 that this is past tense. Right there in the middle of verse 1, it says, which had fallen to earth. So we know that this is a person. We know that this, this verse is talking about something that happened in the past. And so the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So what, is the, what else does the Bible say about a star falling from heaven? Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. So Jesus talks about Satan falling from heaven like lightning. Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 and 15 says, he's a, this is a prophetic picture of what happened when Lucifer fell from heaven. By the way, if you have a King James or a New King James in Isaiah chapter 14, it uses the word Lucifer. That word Lucifer means star, morning star, but it's really, it's only the King James and the New King James are the only translations in all the Bible that uses the phrase Lucifer. All your other translations, if you have a different, other than the King James or New King James, it uses morning star. But Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 says, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, sun of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Does it sound familiar? Does it sound familiar? This is the kingpin himself. This is Satan during the great tribulation making an appearance to serve the purposes of God in his darkness here on earth. So the star is Satan. Lucifer. Verse 2, it says, He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Now, the NASB uses the phrase uh, bottomless pit. Some of your translations say the abyss. The Greek is abusa spear. It means a place without depth. In other words, it's, it's bottomless. If you were to go into this pit, you would be falling forever in darkness. That's kind of scary to me. That don't sound very inviting. But that's what this place is like. That's what this bottomless pit is like. Family, this is, and it's being brought here to earth during the great tribulation of Revelation chapter 9, verse 2, as the portal of hell during the great tribulation. Thus, this is where I got my message, the title of my message, When All Hell Breaks Loose. Jude 6 says this, Angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. This, this bottomless pit, uh, this abyss, this portal of hell, is where the most vile and wicked demons are kept. And it's going to be open for business during the great tribulation. If you uh, make a note, Go look at it another time, but in Revelation chapter 11, verse 7, it, this is the portal from whence the Antichrist is empowered 
for uh, what he's going to do during the great tribulation. So you have Satan opening up the abyss. The abyss opens up and it says there's uh, smoke like a great uh, smoke of a great furnace that fills the atmosphere around the world. It's going to be very dark. It's going to be very, uh, very Gotham-like, I like to say. It's going to be a very dark place. It's not going to be a vacation. It's going to be a terrible time um, during the Great Tribulation. Verse 3 says, Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and the power was given to them as the scorpions of the earth have power. Thus, all hell is breaking loose on earth here in Revelation chapter 9. We have demonic spirits manifesting themselves in the form of, of locusts. In the form of locusts. And verse 4 says, They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. For they were not permitted to kill anyone, verse 5, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. Now we saw last week in our study that a third of all the greenery in the earth is gonna be, is gonna be removed. So that's taken care of. So now he's sending these, um, these locusts like to inflict pain on those during the great tribulation. And what you need to understand that is that in this portion of the wrath being poured out, this, this portion of hell on earth, God is, what God is doing here is not reckless and it's not random. It is measured and it is being done with precision. In other words, God is completely uh, in control and he knows exactly what's taking place. And God is permitting an extreme measure to get hard-hearted people to come to their senses and to repent. God will do whatever it takes to get people to come to the cross. And the thing that keeps them from coming to the cross is a hard heart. Don't have a hard heart. If the Holy Spirit beckons you, if the Holy Spirit calls you, if he softens your heart, say, yes, Lord. Say, yes, Lord. You know, there's, there's coming a day, there's coming a day when man's eternal existence will be fixed and unalterable. Once, once, once you make that step into eternity, you're locked in forever. I'm locked in forever. All people are locked in forever. And God in his grace and mercy, I believe during, in Revelation chapter nine, God in his grace and mercy is doing whatever it takes to get them to repent. He wants people to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants people to be saved. John 3, 16, you know it by heart. I don't have to say it. He loves the world and he desires for them to be saved. Verse six, he says, in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but, but death flees from them. In verse six, God is keeping them from death I believe, to give them every opportunity to repent and turn to Jesus. Because the torment that this being experienced by these locusts is nothing compared to the torment that they would experience in hell. So God is trying to get 
their attention. And if you go back and study uh, Exodus, this, this is just like God's judgment. This is identical to God's judgment on Pharaoh and Egypt. Okay, this isn't something new in the Bible was taking place here. If you go back to the Exodus, if you go back to what took place with Pharaoh, before God brought judgment, striking down the firstborn, which was the, the, the final judgment before he, he, he uh, set Israel free and they went to the promised land, he showed Pharaoh grace. He showed Pharaoh and the Egyptians grace by sending nine plagues. He, by sending nine plagues. He turned the water to blood. He sent frogs. He sent gnats. He sent flies. He sent diseases on their livestock. He inflicted boils. He, he sent hell, locusts, and darkness. In each of those nine plagues was God's grace and God's warning to Pharaoh. Repent. Let my people go or it will get worse. See, those, those plagues were grace. God will do whatever it takes to get people's attention and he will move heaven and earth and his sovereign will will prevail. You know, Pharaoh did not listen and therefore God brought the judgment of striking down the firstborn. The same exact concept here in Revelation chapter nine. God is permitting, God is permitting severe circumstances to get man's attention so that they will repent. This is an act of love. This is an act of grace. This is come to your senses. Step into the light. See the truth of Christ. Put your hope in him. But as we're going to see, man hardens his heart. Man hardens his heart to the grace of God. I still, to this day, cannot figure out why people would resist the grace of God. He offers you love. He offers you mercy. He offers you compassion. He offers you grace. This is forgiveness of sin. This is freedom. This is liberty. Why would somebody reject such a kind offer? That's our God. He's a loving, compassionate, heavenly father that takes care of his children. There's no place I would rather be than to be walking the Christian life and serving Christ Jesus, knowing I have a heavenly father above who's looking, who's watching, watching out for me and taking good care of me. No place I would rather be in walking in his salvation by trusting in Christ. But people, they love darkness. They love darkness more than they love light. They, they, they love sin more than they love righteousness is, 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 the, is the situation here. And so God's getting their attention. Verse 7, let's look at, read verses 7 through 10. It says, the appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle and on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of a woman, woman and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. Don't ask me for an illustration on this because I don't know what, I don't have a good one. <laughs> this, is just, this is just pretty, this is, this is a scary movie. This is, this is a scary sci-fi movie. Stuff that you, you go to bed and have nightmares about. Uh, it says they had breastplates like the breastplates of iron. The sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings. And in their tails, their power to hurt men for five months. Again, this is a very 
scary movie. But the only thing is, movies are not real. And this will be real in the future during the Great Tribulation. These are no ordinary locusts. These are demonic beings from hell. And we've, we've seen nothing like them before. I haven't. Have you? But it's going to be tough. It's going to be very challenging. And we, but what I believe here, what's taking place is we see these, these locust-like figures with all their graphic description is God is giving man a taste of hell on earth in hopes that he will repent and turn to Jesus. You know, he sends his Holy Spirit. He brings conviction. He brings Christians. He, he witnesses to people. Sinners continue to rebel. They continue to fight against God. So what does he do? He makes their life miserable. He makes their life miserable. And then finally it's going to get to a point where, okay, these aren't working. Let's bring hell to earth. Let's bring hell to earth. And hopefully uh, uh, they'll turn to Christ. You see, people in this world like to joke around about hell. And they make light of the danger of hell. But hell is nothing to joke around about. I used to joke around about it a lot. I was an 80s teenager, okay? 81 to 89 was my prime years as a teenager. I grew up on Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue, ACDC, and all, Metallica, uh, White Snake. That, that, was, that, was, uh, that was my music. That music best describes Pastor David in the 80s. And I remember 1985, 85 or 86, I was at the Carolina Coliseum, downtown Columbia, rocking it out to ACDC. The alcohol was flowing. The marijuana smoke was in the air. And all of us were in there banging our head. I'm on a highway to hell. Y'all have heard that song. We were singing that song. And there was this joy and there was this excitement. There was this party-like atmosphere. And I was part of that crowd in the 80s. Or 1978 Van Halen. Who knows what song came out in 1978 by Van Halen? Running with the Devil. That was another one of my songs back in the 80s. I used to love those songs. Those songs were my party songs. Those songs were my life songs. I was going down the road in my 1984 Pontiac Sunbird, jamming out to ACDC Highway to Hell and Van Halen running with the devil. But I didn't understand what I was singing. I didn't understand what I was singing. Because if I understood what I was singing and I understood what I was rocking out to, it, I, I would, I would, hopefully I would have come to my senses. But I didn't realize the brevity of what I was saying in that day that I was on a highway to hell. And that's how the world feels about hell. They joke around. We're going to party in hell, man. We're going to join with Lucifer. And we're going to play rock and roll music. No. Hell has nothing to do with rock and roll music. Hell has nothing to do with a party. Um, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, verse 49 through 50, describing hell. He says, so it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's no partying in hell. Back in the 80s, I thought it was going to be a big party. I, I was wrong. I was dead wrong. You know, hell is going to be a place of, uh, it's going to be an eternity of weeping. It's going to be an eternity of gnashing of teeth. And Jesus Christ came to save us from this place, this place of torment. He came to rescue us. He came on a rescue mission that when we put our trust in Christ, one of the beautiful and wonderful benefits of being a Christian is when that day does step into eternity, you'll go home to be with him in 
heaven. Praise the Lord. But, but he's going to bring hell on earth. He's going to bring hell on earth during the great tribulation. And it's, going to be, it's going to be tough. Let's continue verse 11. Verse 11, we're still looking at this hell and Satan, uh, this, this, this portal, this here in the earth. Verse 11, he says, And they have a king over them, and the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek, he has the name Apollyon. Okay, it's just two words here. Abaddon is, is Hebrew, Apollyon is Greek, and both of those words have the same meaning, which is destroyer. That's what, that word, that's what that word in the Greek and Hebrew means. It means destroyer. And what you need to understand on that verse is this, is that Satan, Lucifer, the bright morning star, he hates mankind. He hates mankind. God loves man. Satan hates mankind. Satan hates you. Satan hates me. And he wants to destroy you. Satan's mission and his demons, their mission on this earth is to destroy your life, to destroy my life. And his greatest tactic in destroying people's lives is to keep people from believing the Bible and trusting Jesus. Because he knows that, man, if you get to the Bible and you believe the Bible, and you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he understands that his work is defeated. He is destroyed. The one that came to, that, that one Satan, this evil spirit being that came to destroy us, when we put our trust in Christ and we believe the word of God, his work is destroyed. We turn it on his head through the cross. Jesus stripped Satan of his powers. He destroyed his work in the world at the cross. And when we put our trust in Jesus, that, that strips Satan of his power in our life. That is awesome. The one that came to destroy is destroyed by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's continue. Verse 12. It says, the first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. And then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. We talked about this last week throughout the, throughout the entire book of Revelation, especially during the Great Tribulation period. You see lots of imagery from the Old Testament. And the imagery we have in verse 13 is this golden altar in the holy place which is in the chamber before the Holy of Holies, there was a golden altar of incense. And that's where the coals from the fire, from the brazen altar were brought in and incense was burned. The incense was burned in the holy place and it filled the Holy of Holies with this fragrant aroma. And that fragrant aroma represents our prayers. So that's what, that's what the, uh, the golden altar is. And there's this voice coming from the golden altar that's announcing uh, these judgments. Verse 14, it says, one saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates and the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. So here in verse 14 of your Bibles, 
he says, release the four angels. Who are the four angels? We're not 100% sure who these four angels are, but we do know that they are, they are fallen, demonic spirits. And many commentators believe that these could be the demon angels who controlled uh, the four ancient world powers back before Christ, which would have been Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. If you go back to Daniel chapter 10, you'll see that Michael fights with one of these guys. That could be who these guys are. But, but notice, uh, they were prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year that they were released. Again, this is not chaos, okay? This is God permitting things to happen under his sovereign will because he sees people on earth that his son died for and he's gonna allow things to happen and move things around so that people will understand who God is and so that they will turn to Christ. Verse 17, verse 17 says, and this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates, the color of fire and of hyacinth and a brimstone and the head of the horses are like the head of lions and out of their mouth proceeds fire, smoke, and brimstone. Y'all get the picture, right? Okay, this is, this is pretty, pretty graphic imagery. Verse 18, a third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which proceeds out of their mouths. In verse 19, for the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, and for their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. The thing I want to point out to you is in verse 18, very sad statement. Verse 18 opens up with a third of mankind was killed. Now, we have any mathematicians in the room? Anybody like math? Anybody like, so in, ca in case you're doing the math, if, if this tribulation period takes place in the next couple hundred years, just hypothetically, which I believe is coming very, very soon, but no man knows the day or the hour, but I believe it's coming soon. But let's just say if it does happen in the near future. Right now, there are the planet Earth has 8 billion people, okay? If you go back to Revelation chapter 6, verse 8, during the fourth seal, it says that one-fourth of the population were killed. So that drops it from, if, from 8 billion to 6 billion. Then here in verse 18, it says one-third are killed. So if one-third of 6 billion are killed, what, what does that bring us down to? Brings us down to 4 billion people. That means, family, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a doomsday prophet, but I, I, I love the word of God and I defend the word of God. But during this great tribulation, it's going to be hell on earth. That means during the great tribulation period, doing the math of the average population that we have in the world today, that 4 billion people will die during the great tribulation and not, not a single one of them will pass without an opportunity to trust Christ. Because this, the great tribulation, is God's grace saying, wake up, unbelievers. Wake up, unbelieving world. Turn to the Lord. 
You know, as I was thinking about this, I was like, man, if we have visitors on Sunday, they can be like, wow, this is deep stuff. This is deep and theological. But we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And here's what you need to understand when you consider during the Great Tribulation that half of the people on planet Earth will die. And here's what you need to remember. Every single man, woman, and child, including you and me, have a decision to make. We have a choice. You have a choice. All the people in the past had a choice. All the people living today have a choice. All the people in the future have a choice to make in this life. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15 through 20. The word of the Lord, God says, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you're entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter it and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live. You and your descendants. So God places before all people throughout history today and throughout the future. We have two choices. It's real simple. It's not rocket science. A simple mind like mine can figure it out. We serve God or we serve the world. That's the two choices. That's what it comes down to. Is, is, and we need to make a commitment in our hearts and, and make that solemn oath to the Lord in our life that you have to do individually, between, not between you and the church or you and Pastor David, but between you and Jesus. This is between y'all two. This ain't, even, this ain't even us right now. This is between you and the Lord Jesus Christ. You make a commitment in your life Lord Jesus, come hell or high water, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you. You died on the cross for me. I'm going to live my life for you. It's that simple, family. It's that simple. Consider the cost. You know, crucify the old life. Leave behind sin. Leave behind darkness. And follow Christ with all your heart. It's about loving God. That's what the Christian, that's the essence of the Christian life, is loving the Lord Jesus Christ more than anything else in this life and placing him first, okay? Now, we got, we got to take another step down. That's not even the real tragedy that all these people die during the Great Tribulation. That, that is tragic. That is very tragic, but that's not the real tragedy. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent. Just circle that phrase, did not repent. He's going to repeat it in a minute. Did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Verse 21, here it is, guys, again. And they, what? Did not repent. Circle that phrase again. Verse 20, he says that they do not repent. Verse 21 says they did not repent of their murders, 
nor their sorceries, nor their immoralities, nor their theft. That is the real tragedy. That is the real tragedy. Those other people had an opportunity, but now these people that are still alive, they see everything that's taken place during the Great Tribulation. And I don't know about you, but man, if I saw all that, man, I would be like, woe is me, a man of unclean lips. Lord, I'm turning my life to you. I get the picture. No more signs needed. You know, no, no more signs from heaven. No more wrath. I get it, Lord. But, but, but they do not, they did not repent. It says they did not repent. And really, these, all these boil down to the Ten Commandments. It says they did not repent of their murders. Really? People want to kill? People are going to want to kill. But people, they do, they, they, they did not want to repent of killing. Maybe it was murder of the heart. Because Jesus says, he who hates his brother without cause is what? Guilty of murder. But they didn't want to turn away from that. I don't know about you, but I don't like death. I don't like to see murder. But these people, their hearts will be so cold, they won't murder. Of their, of their sorceries. Now this, this phrase sorcery, this is not talking about witchcraft. This word sorcery is the Greek word pharmakia, and it means drugs. It means drugs. It said they will not repent of their drug use. Uh, they will not repent of their immorality. Again, God calls us to purity. Uh, they will not repent of their sexual immorality, nor of their thefts. What's, uh, stealing is a violation of the eighth commandment. They just continue to have rebellious hearts. I don't know about, I, I just don't, I don't understand this. I really don't, I don't understand this passage. I don't understand how man could be, his heart could be so hard that he witnesses all this and he doesn't fall to his knees and say, thank you, Lord. See, you guys, man, you guys have soft hearts, pliable hearts. You've heard the gospel preached through the scriptures and you've heard the good news that Jesus died on the cross for your sins you put your trust in him. You believe in his resurrection. And that was all it took for you to come to Christ. Praise the Lord. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I applaud you. You know, make it, make it firm in your heart. Lord Jesus, I have decided to follow you. But this, the, the, the trajectory that the world is going, though, that it's going to get to a point where people aren't going to be like that. People are going to hear the gospel and they're just going to reject it. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse till we get to the great tribulation period and um, all hell breaks loose. It says they did not repent. You know, um, the thing that, that opened my, I, my heart, my mind was opened up the most this week as I was studying this passage was I could not help but to see grace. I could not help to see grace in this heavy, heavy passage. The Greek word that's used here in verses 20 and 21 for repent is metanoia. The, the Greek word for repent is used 12 times in the book of Revelation. The word repent, metanoia, is used more in the book of Revelation than any other New Testament book. What does that tell you about the book of Revelation? That the call in the book of Revelation is to repent. Repent means to make a decision to turn from sin and turn to Christ. And yes, this is part of salvation. 
And if you ever hear a preach, if you ever hear me or any preacher or any minister ever say that repentance is not part of salvation, run, run, because God commands all men everywhere to repent and to put their their trust in Christ. You know, um, thinking about grace, thinking about what's taken place in this chapter in light of verses 20 through 21. Verses 20 and 21 tell us, instruct us, that these, uh, these judgments that were poured out, their purpose was not necessarily to inflict pain, which it did, but it was to get the people to repent. It was to get the people to, to turn to the Lord. This, this phrase, do not repent, it reveals the purpose of the trumpet judgments so that people would repent. Many today look at the judgments in Revelation and they say, man, that's mean. What's up with that? You know, I thought, I thought that God, New Testament was a God of love and grace and the God of the Old Testament was a God of wrath and judgment. No, he's the same God throughout all scripture, Old and New Testament. But many people will, will look at this and say, what? That's mean. No, that's their foolish understanding. This family, these judgments that are coming in the book of Revelation, these are a lifeline. These are a lifeline to humanity. And these, these judgments are God being serious about sin and telling the people to repent because a greater judgment is on the way. So he's showing them grace, saying, hey, I'm amping it up, I'm amping it up. You know, last week we saw in um, Revelation chapter 8, we saw one-third, one-third, one-third. By the time we get to Revelation chapter 16, it's going to be everything. It's going to be everything. But he's slowly amping it up in the book of Revelation to get people to turn to the Lord. The storyline of Revelation chapter 9 is this. God will do whatever it takes to get man's attention. But many, as we see in the text, in the Great Tribulation, will maintain their iron fist toward God in rebellion. They will choose darkness over light, sin over righteousness, and the bondage of sin over the grace of God. Again, Scripture doesn't uh, contradict itself. When we study the book of Revelation, we keep in mind God's judgment. We keep in mind God's grace. We keep in mind God's truth, his love, his mercy. And at the same time, we, we, we bring wrath to the table so that we understand exactly what's going, what's going on. God doesn't change. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even during the great tribulation, God is not willing that any should perish. No man is predestined to hell. They go there because they choose darkness over light. You know, if you're listening to this message and you have not trusted in Christ, <clears throat> what will it take for God to get your attention? What will it take for God to get your attention? What does he have to do? What does he have to do? Let today be the day of salvation. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And again, we partake of salvation not by going to church, not by giving your money, but by trusting in Christ, 
trusting in the Lord Jesus, saying, Lord Jesus, please come into my life. Come into my heart. Cause me to be born again. Help me, Lord, to repent of my sins and to put my trust wholeheartedly in you. We call that, as Jesus said in John 3, being born again. That is the grace of God. That is his plan. And then after you do that, you go out and you serve him, and you serve him with all your heart. Love the Lord your God, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? Amen. Family, as we go through the book of Revelation, I'm going to bring those slides up frequently, because it's going it's, it's to get rough here in the, couple, in the coming weeks. But, uh, but, we need, but you need to understand that the three principles, if you understand those three principles of the book of Revelation, bring that slide up, Noah. This will, it, it answers so many questions. The, the, it's called the purpose of the great tribulation. Yeah, the purpose of the great tribulation, number one, is to wake up the unbelieving world, to give every man, woman, and child an opportunity to repent and believe the gospel. Number two, to shake the nation of Israel. You know, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 teach us that God is not done with the nation of Israel. They've just been put on a shelf for a season. But one day, they're going to take back over to be the centerpiece of God's attention. And we'll see that during um, the great tribulation. And then finally, to prepare for the millennial kingdom. To prepare for a kingdom where our salvation will be complete. He saved our souls. He saved our spirits. But one day, he's going to give you a brand new body. That's big words, big thoughts for big minds. That's, that's, that's huge. That's the promise of God's word. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this study in uh, Revelation chapter 9 this morning. Father, we, uh, we are humbled and amazed, Lord, at your grace. Thank you, Lord, for each of us here this morning that it didn't take this judgment and seal judgments to, to come to Christ, but it took us hearing the voice of your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, thank you that we're saved from this hour because, Lord Jesus, you said you, you, you came to rescue us from this hour of trial. But, Father, help us, Lord, to take away this morning a life of purity, a life of holiness, a life where we dedicate our lives to live for your honor and your glory, for your praise and your majesty. Lord, challenge us this morning to live our lives completely sold out to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.